Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the war movie review podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. We head into the Casbah this week with Gilo Pontecorvo's 1966 epic, The Battle of Algiers. As always, I'm joined by Mike B. Yep. And Nate. Take one. Got it. All right. God damn, that was beautiful. <laughs> so guys, what do you think? Of your colossal fuck up or the, the film? Yeah, after I fucked it up a bunch of times. Um, that was good. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. So what did you guys think? Uh, it was not what I expected. It was better. It was. I'm um, glad to hear that. Yeah. I, I, I When it started out, it was like. I mean, really with any film starting out, you're going to, a lot of times it'll start out when they're getting this, as we know, like getting the set and everything, kind of the groove of things. The beginning scenes might be a little bit awkward and not as, um, the fuck is the word I'm looking for? Um, not, it doesn't flow as well. And then once you get into the groove and the flow and everything, you could tell that all the actors and the producers and the director and all the crew, it's like, okay, it becomes just natural and just a process and like you're used to it. But yeah, so it started out and I was like, oh God. It's gonna be one of those movies, and with the kind of like weird scenes and the shitty acting on some of the actors' parts at first, and just like the the cliche lines, like where he goes, "No," I was like, "Come on!" And then, you know, then the the title title comes on, and then it just from there, it just bam, then the movie's over. You know, like it it like it flew because it was just it flowed so well, and it was just they had a it just it was magic the way it flowed like macro level. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, before I really comment on it, um, cause I've seen this a few times, I believe Nate, this is your first time seeing this film as well. Yeah. Like Birch. Yeah. What did you think overall? Me? Yeah. Boring. Really? Really boring. Interesting. Really boring. Wow. I fell asleep twice. <laughs> Interesting. I can see <laughs> it, that. It was yeah. fine. Like it's, 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 shot really well for the time for it being 1960s and and you know the whole you know part of the world and stuff it's really well done it just i'm about bored i just was bored it just the subject didn't intrigue me ah that the, that that's a problem then yeah, because, yeah. it just like I can, to, was, I can totally see that yep yeah yep, like yep. like like it's not that i find like it's not that i'm feeling like that like it's not important to or anything it just mm -hmm. i just was just watching it and then boom i was asleep yeah that's like twice. I, and totally what woke me up was the rebels blah, 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 blah. so you know it's like that's oh. what woke me up like twice so you know it's like all right like all right the two times they do it in the movie yeah um, yeah well like but uh interesting it was really well filmed though um and i and i loved what was in it it just was very 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 slow for me and that's just but that's my own personal take like that's my own my own style and my own choice and what keeps me engaged and it you kept me justify your, you well, no, justify well no well no i mean like because i i wanted to like this movie because of the because of how interesting the subject seemed to be it just mm -hmm. seemed like the i think it's the cadence of the movie that was slow and boring to me not necessarily the subject and what was going on but it was the cadence hmm. and i think that's what was really kind of that's interesting you say that because yeah. it the cadence. So, to give a little background on the film and stuff, the head producer for the movie was Jaffer, 
the guy in the fucking film, the head of the actual Algerian, um, like, you know, NLF. He lived, and after the revolution, he got this film written and produced. So basically everything you see happened was real. Like the one scene where they're smuggling the bombs through the, uh, the cash bar, like gates, and the woman has the conversation with the guy, like, are you going to the beach? That happened. That was a real 100% conversation that took place, word for word, verbatim. Like so much shit in this movie is for verbatim how it actually happened during the Battle of Algiers. And just to extrapolate this out a little bit, the Battle of Algiers was the Moroccan, or not the Moroccan, the Algerian battle for independence. And it basically started in 1954 after DMB and Fou, where all these groups that had been mad at the French for decades, basically since the 1830s when they took over North Africa, um, you know, were like, the French army's defeated. They thought the whole army got destroyed at DMB and Fou. They're like, now is the time for the revolution. And they were right in the sense that it was the right time, but they were wrong in the sense that the French military wasn't destroyed. Just part of it was destroyed in one of the colonies. So everything really kicks off in 54 and it just grows and gets worse and worse and worse until this period in 1957 that's depicted, you know, in the film where it gets really bad. Like, you know, this is the height of the Battle of Algiers. And so the people that do live through it, like Jaffer, you know, once they win their independence, they want to tell the story of everything. So that's why he wanted to tell the story. Um, so as part of like the cadence and stuff, you know, there's a few films that come out around this time, 50s and 60s, um, European cinema and stuff, where it's about resistance movements and stuff, minimalism and fighting the long fight. And I think that's might be where you think it was it, quote unquote boring it is. when they were trying to instill the idea of you've been oppressed for 150 years. This is the long period of, you know, it's like, cause they, they do touch on t the interesting aspects of revolution in the film a lot. Like first comes terrorism, then comes, you know, general populist uprising, then comes armed conflict. And then, you know, that's the process. And, you know, that's why I think they were really doing the cadence like that to try to like, you know, Chinese water torture, the drip of occupation. You try to, you do one thing to, to fight your oppressors. They wall you in, you do this, you, do, you know, like just the cat and mouse game of it. And just while I'm here to touch on it, I find this, the, I find the decolonization period fascinating because what happened in 40, from 39 to 45 is that all the empires were shattered and destroyed. The British lose their empire to save the world in a way. Like, you know, so did the French. And what happens after the war is how do these people deal with their legacy? The British realize after a snowstorm of all things in 1946 that they can't keep up this fucking huge system. And then they start the process of decolonization. India, you know, the whole empire is now its own sovereign nations. The French were different. The French viewed the war as a stain on their honor. And that the people that literally were oppressed by the Nazis and Gestapo in their home fucking country made sure to do the same exact tactics in their empire to keep their empire together. So you have, like they mentioned in the film, that the leader of the paratroopers, he was in the French resistance. And he's like, oh, how do you destroy a resistance group? Well, you know, how do you make one? Like, these guys literally were, were the oppressors or the oppressees 10 years before they became the oppressors. You know, it's crazy. You have literally guys that are in these concentration camps that are doing similar tactics to, to people that are fighting their own revolutions and fighting their own freedom. So the 45 to 65 period, at least for myself, is fascinating with decolonization. Because it's like, how does the West deal with their legacy of, you know, well, we have the stuff and what are we going to do now? And each different you know, country approached it separately. Um, so to bring it back to the Battle of Algiers, you know, 
that's what this is really getting. And in my opinion, I mean, this is the only film that gets decolonization. Like, you know, you're fighting someone that says that you're, they're on your side. And they're like, why aren't you on our side? We're helping you, you know? Like, why don't you, why are you trying to kill us? We're giving you independence. And if you stop fighting, we'll give you, like, you know, just this back and forth idea of, like, you know, don't bite the hand that feeds you, even though we're, we've been here for 13, 13 decades and we're going to keep fucking you over. So, yeah, I said a lot, but that's kind of how I feel about the film and I, how I feel like maybe you're, you viewed the cadence because I can see. Yeah. But also it's covering eight, history eight years too of a lot of shit going on. And oh. it has to touch in that two yeah. hours. It has to touch on the extremely relevant points and the turning points of the, well, FLN, they call it French, but like at the NLF, it has to, it has to convey through his story. Cause I'm sure he wanted to add more in there, but then you've got a you've got a series. Then you've got a series that can basically go on forever. You got a three and a half but, hour, four hour movie if you do that. Oh my god, easy! And yeah. so yeah, but you know it starts out in fifty four and it shows and it goes all the way to sixty two. Well, sixty really in the film, but like, um, I mean that's a lot of that's eight years is a long time as we know. And because there was so much shit happening, it's like, oh, how do you how do you put that into two hours and still convey all those points? And with that, so yeah, I, I, Nate, I understand why exactly. The cadence is, it's weird for sure. And if you don't really have like an interest in the subject, it's kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? Like what, you know what I mean? And so I, I totally get that. And I see that because it, it, it does, because it's an insurgency. It's a revolution. It's a very slow process. And the film kind of conveys, like Brian was saying, just that drip, drip, drip. And it conveys it in the same manner of, well, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even happen in a year. It doesn't even happen in two years. It takes a fucking, almost a decade from start to finish. And that's even quick. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I totally understand and get where you're coming from. And yeah, that's, that's valid. And, and it wasn't, and, and when I say like boring, it doesn't mean boring. Boring doesn't mean bad. Boring doesn't mean no. like, you know, uh, like this is going to be a bad rating on my end even. It's just I had a very hard time having my um, attention engaged constantly on a subject, kind of exactly what you said, Mike, where it's like, you know, I know of this yeah. altercation. I don't know much about the history. It's targeting a era after what, my, what I really kind of deem my subject yep. matter that I really love and really research. And so I think in a region that I know nothing about. So I think I think that by itself is some of the 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 kind of you know uh 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 trouble with being constantly engaged. But 100%. I did. But I did yeah. feel like that a lot of this movie uh, subject matter that it was trying to show when it did keep my attention was really good. And I think the cinematography for being a nineteen sixties yeah. kind of like. I, I hate to say experimental film kind of style feeling like French experimental. Like that's literally what I got out of it. Um, and so like that with it being that time, I hate those movies. I had to suffer through those movies in uh, film school and it was like pulling teeth. <laughs> so I, I, I hated European like, 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 like minimal artiste fumes with Finn at the end, you know, like, like I just, it's like, I, that might be some of what I'm feeling as well, but, um, yeah. but yeah, that, that, I mean, overall, I mean, I, I, I liked it. It just, it was, the cadence was very slow. The, the subject matter was not what I know. So I'm not interested in that. 
The gunplay was interesting, but it wasn't enough to keep me solely interested in it. It's very minimal. Um, but yeah. No, dude, it definitely is in that era of French pre-French noir experimentation with films. And it reminds me a lot of another film from 1955 that's called A Man Escaped, which is, in my opinion, one of the best films ever made. Isn't that that film that you like rave and rant and rave about? And it's like that spy movie that Sean and I both are like, if we hear it one more time, we feel like we've watched it through you. There's two of them, (laughs) yeah. But they're both in the same vein. Um, One is A Man Escaped, which is a French noir minimalistic about a guy that only, the only guy that ever escaped from the shop of prison in Paris. Oh, okay. Fascinating. Cool. And the other one is called uh, Army of Shadows. Which that's is, again, the one. Was filmed that's by the a one. Guy. That's the one you thought yeah. about a lot. Yeah, it was filmed by a guy who uh, was a member of the press resistance, and but it's filmed in the style. It's very long. It's very like drip, 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 drip. You know, it's, it's about what occupation is like, and you know, it's like we can really sum up occupation as like you know what is resistance. You know, is resistance you know not opening your shop if you're going to have a strike? Is resistance killing a French police officer? You know, like, what is resistance? What can people get away with? What do people want to get Getting away? guillotined. You know? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, dude, is, that, is that crazy? That was still fucking... I, don't, I, I think the last... Work. I think the last guillotine execution was, like, in the 1980s, I think. I believe... Yeah, yeah. it was the late 20th century. Yeah. It's efficient as fuck. I mean... Yeah. Well, yeah, you know? Clean, it's efficient, you know, it works. So talking about resistance, um, there's two types of resistance, and they showed both of those in this film, active and passive. So active is going up and shooting the police officers with guns, point blank, and passive is the strike, or not opening your shop or whatever, where technically you're not being violent, but you're making it hurt in different ways that technically they can't, well, not they can't, but technically... like with the wedding. They have the unregistered wedding, yeah. things like that. You yeah, know, it's like exactly. You're, you're actively, you're not participating in their form of government. It's passive resistance. Yes, it's yeah. non. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it's still resistance, but it's mm-hmm. just not violent. And active resistance is obviously what I just said. So, um, but I'm glad they showed both of those, and they showed a lot more passive resistance too, because usually films about resistance, from what I've seen, very little of them. But like, they get boring because they just show the active resistance, and it's like, okay, it's a, it's an action flick, it's a war movie. Okay, we get it. So I hate shit like that because it's mm-hmm. it's not what it was. Again, it's like what is resistance? Not everybody can fucking make stents in their basement, right? You know, like it's not that. It's with your individual actions that you do on a daily basis to whatever your end goal is. You know, there's a lot of French resistance or resistance museums in Europe about the Second World War, and you go to the French. I have friends that have done this. I haven't done this personally, but I, you know, you go to the French one and it's like. We, we did everything. Everybody was in the resistance. Like during the war, there was the joke, the mothball army. Cause when the fucking guys rolled through, everybody put their old uniforms on and they all fucking smelled like mothballs. So yeah, you definitely have been carrying a fucking Thompson for five years. Yeah, place. exactly. You know, but the really, the best museum I've been told about resistance is the one in Holland, which basically paints a picture of what is resistance. Can you resist? Is your grandmother going to go shoot a German? No. Like, you know, how do you live your life in an occupation? Right. And it's not as cut and dry as everybody thinks. Everybody wants to think, you know? Again, it's not Pierre's going to show up with this plastic explosives are going to go blow up the train bridge. Like, that fucking doesn't happen. You know, it's it's a long process that gets there. Um, but also touching on this, too, you know, I feel, too, Nate, you might have got lost because, in a way, I feel like this film is like come and see and that it's made for a specific audience at a specific time after they won their, their revolution. Because, you know, this film is for Algerians. 
it's you know, obviously it was made by Europeans, you know, a lot of French cinema, uh, a lot of Italian cinema influences, you can tell. But like, it's a film made for a country that just gained their independence after a horrible, long struggle. And again, like, unless you were a Belarusian in 1943 and lived through the fucking, uh, you know, operations, you won't get come and see. And to a certain extent, 60 years removed from a North African culture, I could see the same aspects, you know, like, whatever. And before I get off my soapbox, I got really cool vibes from this movie as far as like Zulu. Because for a script about the oppressor, they do paint the French in a pretty equal light. Yes, they show the bad things they do, but like... They did bad shit it's not too. Like it, it's equal. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's not like an anti-French movie though. Nope. It's, like an, it's an anti-oppressor movie. Like it doesn't matter, you know, what language they speak, where they're from. It's like, you know, I don't feel like the film demonized the French. They demonized their actions, but it's not like, you know... At the end of the film, I feel like, oh, you know, hey, France is a country to our north, not, you know, death to America or something like I thought it was very equally made, especially being four years after their fucking 10 years after the events occurred and four years after the, the war. Happened. Right, right. And and kind of something that I noticed about this and like reflecting now, I'm still, you know, kind of processing and I watched it several hours ago, but like it doesn't seem like it's made for entertainment. It's more of a here's what happened and we want people to know like not a documentary, but like something of like a docudrama docudrama. Yeah. That would, that would, that would be a, a more accurate. I, I, but like, I, agree, I agree with that. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And so I actually like that because I do get sick of like on this podcast, how many fucking, what percentage of films that we've reviewed and we're going to review, do you think are made for entertainment? Just 80, 85, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. 80 to 85. Yeah. All right. And it's nice and kind of refreshing once in a while, like, like an ungentlemanly act, right? That yeah, was the same, great. the same vein of where it, it didn't seem like it was made for entertainment. It just seemed like it was made. Here's what happened. We're trying to get it as close to what happened as possible. So people will understand we're not taking sides. There's no good guys. There's no bad guys. Everybody's in that, that that's like the vibe I'm kind of getting from what you're saying. And, and this film itself is like it was made to just show what happened, and it's a really uh, a nice, fresh breath of air when we see things like this once in a while, because it's like, okay, cool. There, these do exist. It's not all just for entertainment and making money. It's like now we have a better understanding. We're closer to what actually happened than we were before we watched the film. You know, so that that to me is a very positive thing overall about this thing. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and as they say, there's always three sides to a story: my mm -hmm. side, your side, and the truth. Yeah. So well, yeah, you'll you never, you'll never get to the truth, but it, it just, it's just very reassuring to see these films. You know, just that they try to cut it an even path. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll, you're always gonna have biases, obviously, but like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But if you can nice minimize those biases as much as possible, you get, yeah, you get good stuff like this. So. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's funny, too, because so many people today, they won't watch older black and white films for stupid reasons. I don't like black and, and white. Like, I'll be know. totally honest. I don't like it. Um, I wonder if the... sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that, no, might no, no, be, go ahead. That, that might be one of the reasons why I think I might have been slightly bored as well, is that it's black and white. It's in subtitles. Not that I don't yeah. like subtitles. I like subtitles. It just black and white subtitles. 1960s pacing and cadence i just think it just had 
like a trifecta of just my attention span just can't just deal that with was it. the reason i understand and you can that was insult, my first 10 minutes and you can insult yeah. me right now nope. brian because i saw your insult face come on nope. of like oh you well that works for a southerner fucking hick person you know like <laughs> wow so, well i'm on the you know there's only one side of the hudson the beyond it's mine but um <laughs> no like uh mike gets a pass he's also a yankee um but what do you call it um i'm a yankee yeah oh fuck that i'm not from new england <laughs> fuck that yeah, did you what's did you wear blue or gray 150 years ago uh, blue with a hardy hat man <laughs> you guys didn't have any fucking hardy hats there you go. you're you're a fucking yankee I'm getting man. a raging clue over here <laughs> um but uh <laughs> what do you call it um no nate it's just uh i actually thought a lot about this last night after i watched the movie and it's like you know in my opinion this film is a much better film than Kelly's heroes mm-hmm. because it's a much more meaningful, real story about events that occurred. That doesn't mean that I don't love Kelly's heroes and I want to watch it all the fucking time. Absolutely. It, 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 but you know, it's hard to, to judge art, but th- what I'm trying to get at, I don't know, is that like, I'll watch anything. Cause I, I love the art form and I want to see how people solve these problems throughout every century, you know, from the 1890s to today. And so that's just me. You know, I grew up on silent films, so that's just how I am. But I really thought about it last night and I'm just like, you know, I feel like it's a fallacy for people to like, oh, I'm not going to watch that because it's black and white or whatever. I get that it's boring, but like, I honestly feel like the real problem is it is that media consumption has moved on so fast or it's moved on so quickly in such a short period of time that like even me in my late twenties, I kind of can't resonate with kids in their teens because like, you know, I got a smartphone when I was like in fucking ninth grade, I had a childhood. Like I had that. They don't know what that was like. So they, they can't comprehend, you know, so we have a different level because for them, they, they've had tablets of everything. So they're grown up, you know, so that's life. So like bringing it back to these eras, you know, like to the first movie and stuff, like fucking, it blew people away because, oh my God, moving pictures and like, you know, talkies, whatever. It really grew on itself. So to take someone from the modern era and like, you know, plop them back 60 years into a different mode style format of filmmaking, I can understand why people are like, this is fucking the boringest piece of shit ever. Compared to, and I'm not, I'm saying this generally, you know, compared to like TikTok or the, the media that we get today. It's just, it's very hard for people to comprehend. And I'm not targeting you, I'm just targeting it as a whole, you know? So that's fine that, like, you know, that's it. But I really feel like that the way that media has changed how we consume it is a big factor. Because, you know, who the fuck wants to sit through Gone with the Wind, even though it's amazing? You know, like, just there's not that, unless you have that drive and that real want, like, people don't give a shit about stuff made before 1980. And even that's old for the newest generation, you know? Like, fucking, I, I know so many filmmakers that haven't seen Godfather or Jaws. Which is insane. I've actually never seen Godfather. What? Never has. Nope. I've seen Jaws. Oh my god. Cooper hasn't seen Godfather either. And he told me he didn't want to. And I'm just like, how could you? You got to at least see Godfather one. You can. You don't need to watch two or three. Just watch one. Two is better than one. Yes. Anyway, one is at least really good to start off with. But yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously. Yeah. But no, like obviously. You know, I I get it. It's just. (laughs) If you if you showed somebody today a movie from the 1890s and then progressed to cinema progressed, they'd respect it. But it's so you can't go back. It's like 
Nate, if I go to your house and like you're smelting steel in your fucking yard to go make like a bed frame, and it's like you can go to IKEA. I have done that. Like, yes, you know, oh, yeah. you probably have. <laughs> but like, you know, it's just it, it. It's really hard to go back. Yes, and I feel like that's what it is. So. You no, know, I, I, yeah, there, I can there really is something to say. There. No, I, I, I can understand that. I mean, like, you know, it's um, to use a to use a, a form of media that I really understand. It's like I, I, I uh, collect vintage video games and I love collecting vintage video games. I love playing vintage video games. But there's some video games I, I go back and play from like maybe, you know, their late 90s. And I go, this is a piece of shit. And it's like, I can't even play this because it's a piece of shit. And I don't mean like the way, I mean, like it just looks bad. I'm like, oh, my eyes. Oh, God. You know, Hagrid, you know, if we use Harry Potter PS1 meme of Hagrid, you know, I look like Hagrid this morning and it's Hagrid's face being stretched over three triangles. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, like, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, and, and as well as like, I'll also just make sure I, I say it again. It's like, I like this movie. I think it's really, really interesting, and I think its subject matter is very, like, I, I, un, like, like as the movie went on, I got less and less bored. But it was like, it was like that draw. It was like that the 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 runway, the running, the running before the leap was really long for me, and I that's where I kind of struggled with. Like, let's say the last thirty minutes. I wa I was watching. I didn't fall asleep. I was fine. It was good, and I understood and I liked it, which is why I was seeing like really good cinematography or at least action captured. Like you know the um because I'm a very visual person. I'm an editor, so like that's what I I really lock onto. Like when they're going through the apartment complexes and like kicking everyone out, there's this guy booting around a toddler. Like I don't know if yeah. you see if you saw that. Like yeah, and, and like yep. and like I was like, damn. And like you know the explosion at the those at, alleyways in a cash bar, so cool. Right, how yeah. They're able to get like all the angles and yeah. stuff. And, like, like and and they're running around one building and the, the French are coming from the other way. Mm -hmm. Like that was a fucking. It's crazy. really good cinematography Sorry, and like and that stuff was keeping me going. I I really think it was just it was the running start before the leap that was just really kind of just like okay get me to where I can start like really engaging here. Cause I, cause without the historical context, without the interest, it's like, it's, it was a gruel. And I, and I think that's my own trauma from fucking film school. <laughs> that's the reason why, but you know, it, it was, you know, I, I might say I I'm saying it's boring and I was bored for the most part. I, it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the film. And the, the really cool thing, the one thing I really liked about it was like those explosions, man, those actors who were just in the middle of that shit, like, <laughs> like when they had the the one at like the horse, race yeah, and, and the glass like, wall, the that, that, that glass yeah. partition just shatters. Like it was like <laughs> I was like, damn, like so it's real reactions too. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like now, oh. that now that we're there. So I think my favorite scene of the whole movie was the bombing scene, and not because oh the bombing scene, but like you can't fucking shoot that today. You fucking can't shoot a terrorist smuggling a bomb through a checkpoint, finding targets, women and children. Yeah. And yes. Like you, you can't. You can't. Like in a post. Yeah. Yeah. In a post 9-11 world, like that's impossible. So that was like really insane for me to watch and like respect. The only thing I can think of about that in the modern realm is in Zero Dark Thirty, there's a scene where it's from the other side where the, the one uh, restaurant in the Hilton or something in Kabul or somewhere around the world gets bombed, you know, and you see the, the results of a terrorist attack from the victims. 
but to show them do this and like i love the bomb tech fucking wires are falling off like you know you expect oh. this guy to know what he's doing and like he, he's not an expert fucking he, you know it's like hey he had a construction company and now he does this right yeah like you know i love that but it's so horrible and it's so you know oh my god you're you're you're, you're targeting civilians but at the same time it's just fascinating you know like how they showed that like what do you do i i, I how are you going to approach this you know i i i do like it how they went from they showed the first one going off then the second one going off with the hesitation and like oh well oh, the people like yeah whenever, well, I like well, the song. well will everyone be out on the street when the second one happens because right. they showed that and yeah. then i liked it uh-huh. and, well not liked it but you understand my point it's like then they yeah. like it's so much of a delay and they come back and then they get nailed and then and then they don't even show the third one you just hear it so yeah, again, you see the aftermath. Yeah. yeah. So like again, like that. The like like again, I think what I'm saying is like of bored, but not for the reasons that you would normally think. It's not the content; it's like the delivery and the cadence. Like I've said a couple times already, I think that was where I was struggling. It's not. Mm-hmm. The, it's not that what's in the film is boring. I just think it's just for my ADD riddled brain. It was just, and, and my trauma through film school of it fin. like that was just, I think what was killing me, but you know, going through it and seeing it like, um, uh, although I will say I personally had a, I, the, I was, it's weird. Like the bombings didn't really kind of make me think or feel m- I mean, they did, but not as much as the ambulance drive-bys. That was crazy. And the driving yeah, through right. people, and then. But the, the thing Just, is, I yeah. don't know if I had missed something. I'm like, what? What the? Why is this like out of nowhere? Like, who are these people? What are they doing? Why is this thing like? And it felt very. I don't know. It hit a different level for me, and mm-hmm. I think with you know growing up in a, you know, being. 11 years old during 9-11 it was very much of a big thing for me to see that and i kind of went like "Ooh, like i don't like that like it's weird it was just weird it just it hit a, it hit a level of me i was like "Ooh," like well, just something... yeah i don't know what it was but i felt that and i was just like it, okay it's something that's you know not expected at all um fuck i'm losing my train of thought um you know, it's just not a scene that you expect to see and all those things going on. I think the reason they put that in there is because, like, they're just trying to show the, all the built up tension. And finally, these kids are like, fuck it, we'll steal an ambulance and kill a bunch of French people. You know, like, and I, here they are. I think it was more like the the weird i think what was really nailing me was the just kill people to kill people in the street because they're French. Yeah. In the French district. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it resonated with a lot of the death to America kind of mentality. Kind sure, of thing. Yeah. So I think that might be or, where I was feeling that even the, even the, you know, modern terrorist attacks in France and everything in Nice where they drive trucks through crowds. Yeah. It was, that was another stuff. reason why I was kind of like, Ooh, it's, it's yeah, it's literally the same, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a metropole now. It's not in the colonies. Um, fuck, I just touched on the, Oh yeah. So here it is. So one thing I did really like about this film and it's in all these scenes is how well the crowds were controlled. And like, there's the one scene like where he goes to shoot the cop. And he has no bullets in the gun. Yep. And like, he's aha, you fuck, I'm in charge. And then, he, and then you see a look on his face, but you see like the crowd, like run away. Yep. Like, and they're all really far away. And I love that. It's like, it's an arena. It's like what's happening. And you know, you're in a city of how many tens of thousands of people like, Oh, there's a shooting. Let's watch it. Let's go on. <laughs> and that yeah. happened multiple times. Like in the bombing scene, when the first one goes up, dude, there's literally like 2000 people on the street. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. like watching everything. And that, those are real. That's not CGI. That's real people. Yep. It's real town. You know, that was great. And the other thing too, that was great with crowds was that after one of the attacks, they have like the beggar who's just like on the street. Yeah. With yeah. The cart, and all the people that were yelling at him. And it just goes to show how sensationalized people are. And that was, ah, God, there's so much to talk about with this. Cause like, the fact that they showed how shitty the French were to the, you know, Algerians was great. Like when he tripped Ali in the beginning and he was laughing like that was great. Cause that's, you know, like him, it's a game to this guy. He's in a part of his country. That's oh look at the people that, that live here. Like you could tell that, you know, the French were just on a different plane as far as how they thought they were better than everybody else. You know, and it just keeps on coming back and back and back. And it just really puts the characters in this corner of like, you know, the fuck? Like, you're an, you're from Algeria. You grew up here, but you're a second class citizen. And these people come from across the ocean, essentially. And they fucking fuck you up. Like, I, this is very cool. And you don't get a lot of films that get that. Like, that's real colonization. You know, that's a sensationalized group of people that is in charge. Just fucking flailing out at everybody they see who they think is doing wrong thing because was that guy did that guy murder a cop no he's just fucking in the wrong place at the wrong time and you know it's but that was really cool how they really brought that element into the film or the mob or the mob going really after the bet boy oh that too that was a great scene you know like in the cops trying to save him and they're, they're beating up the cop and it's like you know it just goes to show how people will put aggression in places like would a group of, of people beat up a child no but under certain circumstances, if one group is different than the other group, then guess what? Anger is going to flare. And um, it's like, again, not to touch on 9-11 and stuff, but like all those, unfortunately, the Sikhs that were attacked. Oh, God. Yeah. I was about to say that. Yeah. yeah. And it's horrible. You These people that they're from South Asia and they have a similar culture to, you know, the Middle Eastern culture and stuff. And fucking idiots don't understand the difference and they fucking attack them. You know, like even during the Second World War, like there were reporters that there were Chinese reporters that had to wear things like "I'm Chinese, not Japanese. Don't spit on me." Like you know, it's just, it's just ignorance forever. But yeah, yeah it's you ignorant. know, it's because like, like the Sikhs, it's funny. Like kind of the irony in that whole persecution of the Sikhs because people just didn't understand they're they're not even from the Middle East. Like they're from oh, India. Yeah, and guess yeah. what? They don't get along with the Muslims. Yeah, right. You know, like, <laughs> like they didn't, it, it's 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 irony because you're attacking someone because you think they're of a certain ethnicity or whatever and they don't get along with the same ethnicity that you're claiming them to be because you're too fucking ignorant. And it's like that's that that that, that like you said it happens. It's happened forever. It's still going to happen because people are stupid. You know, and the fear fear man, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? And, the wrong hands too. Oh man, it's it's it, when you have fear, especially when you've got a lot of people that are scared of the same thing. Oof, not good. One thing, really quick, uh, before we move on a little bit, is going back to the bombing scenes. So you guys were touching on the actual bombing itself. The part that f- like fucked with me, and it was like really, I'm again, you really can't get away with this shit today, unless you don't want your film to go anywhere or get ridiculed because it's whatever is the cleanup, the recovery of the bodies by people. Both the the Algerians, when that first house gets bombed by those police guys, and they're carrying out dead kids, right? I mean, they're carrying out adults, but they're also carrying out dead kids, like really small kids. And everybody's quiet, 
and it's just like everybody's expressionless fucking in shock traumatized but it's got to be done and it's just like that 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 methodical or not methodical that 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 ritualistic just here's how we have to do this we have to get it done because you start of rotting bodies a it's not good for your family it's not good for your religion in the you have to get that body taken care of as soon as possible for those reasons but again it's a hygiene reason right especially when you're that close quarters so it's like Okay, the dust hasn't even literally settled yet, and you're already taking out dead kids and dead people that died in this bombing for God knows what fucking reason. And 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 also the French did the same thing when the Algerians bombed them. They just it's this ritualistic, just all right, we have to get bring all the bodies out, put them on stretchers, let's organize this. And then it's it's just, but it's just like um I, I'm trying to look for a word. It's not ritualistic, it's just like this. Ah, oh, fuck. I can't. I'll think of the word again, like at three in the morning, I'll wake up and be like, that's the word. Fuck. But, um, <laughs> Call Nathan. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, it's just like, it's just this thing that just, it, it, it just has to be done. We're going to do it. Like, so and it's just like, uh, it's, uh, it become, and, and, and I think what they were kind of alluding at is that it's just normal at this point. It's expected. It's like, well, this shit happens all the time. It sucks, but unfortunately we're numb to it. We're used to it. And therefore this is what we do. And that that was really fucked up. So well, they were like, "There's, there's." At one point, they're like, "There's an average of four point five attacks a day, or yep. something like that." Four point you know, four point two. Four point two. Yep. And you know, for three, four years, I mean, straight, it's, straight. It's not gonna yeah. make. It's not gonna make the news anymore. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, you hear no, you're, it? You're desensitized like, was, to it." Yeah. yeah. It was like some of the points, like you know, the party, the French party, and you hear shooting and this that. Like, yeah, you know. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, same things are happening in Indochina, you know, at the same time. Mm-hmm. They, they had fucking nets over the cafes to stop grenades from falling yep. in them and stuff. Like, you know, people are partying. Like, you see traces in the hills and it's like, I'll take a martini, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just, it's fucked up when you get to a place where that's just, that's just part of life. Yeah. You know? Well, there's a great story where Kennedy goes to the DMV and food, where he goes to Saigon and it's 53 and that's happening. And he was like, uh, these people are uh, unrealistic you know he's like they can't win this war and that's when ike was like let's just bomb the fucking norks um <laughs> but it's just, it's just crazy you know again it's like this decolonization period is so fascinating because mm-hmm. it's like how did they deal with it you know and the one empire that was had its you know home nation occupied is the one that's the most you know vindictive for its colonies after the fact mm-hmm. to yeah get they, that lost prestige they, de gaulle yeah. was a piece of shit Yes. Literally. Like I can I can get into this for hours if we really want to, but yeah. he was such a piece of shit. And then he gets into the power of the French government and he's like, what are we gonna do? Liberty, egalite, you know, freedom? No, we're gonna fucking, you know, put the Viet Minh in their place. And we're, we're gonna, gonna show the him who's boss. We're gonna show him who's in charge. And, yeah. And none of it worked. Even in Mali, there's they still have problems, you know, well, all this shit. Like, yeah, like, that's oh yeah, that's not a well, we. I mean, Africa, their their colonies in like South, Central and even like um, um, Western Africa. That, I mean, that's that's completely fucked. This is this is like oh, yeah. one of their northernmost colonies in Africa. Oh yeah, and this is the fifties, and that shit's been going on. I mean, that's a whole other subject, but like it is relevant. But like it again, we can talk about that for fucking days. But yeah, yeah. it's like this was one of the earlier colonies in Africa that started this shit. And then after Algeria got its independence in 62, then it was just kind of this chain reaction of the same kind of shit. And the French, they were like, well, then the, uh, the, the fourth empire collapsed or the fourth, right? Yeah. I, th- I believe it was the fourth after De Gaulle, because he was a fucking incompetent dipshit. But like, um, yeah. So, but I mean, that's, that's a- not join NATO. 
I worked well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so it is really it is a very fascinating time period because the French were probably on on the, on the scale that they did it at, right? Because I mean, Portugal they did some wicked shit in Angola. And, yeah, people forget that um, Mozambique, uh, Portugal, they are tens and paratroopers. Yeah, not not really a. They're not totally you know innocent of of. Now it's like Denmark and Norway are these cute little countries that they're in the skin and it makes talk funny. It's like dude, four hundred years ago, fucking you got a pike ram through your face. Right, you know, these places. <laughs> They're, they're docile, like, you know, Portugal is like this destination place, but like, dude, fucking, you know, like, oh, they, they were when, when empires they, of the world. When you they want were, spices, motherfucker? You go to Portugal. Like, you know? Right. When they were going up and down the West coast of Africa back in the day when they were Whoa. trading. But anyway, that's yeah. different. So, I mean, you got Portugal, you got Belgium that was doing bad shit and everything. Anyway, I mean, King Leopold was a great guy. <laughs> anyway. So, but I, I would say that like, I'm just acknowledging that I know that there was other countries yeah. that were uh, guilty of doing bad shit, but on the scale, the French have everybody beat because that was oh, yeah. literally worldwide. And they, and their, their tactics, like you said, because they were, I, I don't know if it's because they were occupied directly and they, they, you know, for, for five, four years, well, almost five, um, they were under such oppression and just this, this police state on steroids that that's how they were like, well, hey, that worked because guess what? They killed a lot of our friends. They got a lot of our people, you know, to go away and never come back. We got sent to camps. Well, hey, guess what? That that minimized the resistance that we could do. So let's just use the same tactics, like you said earlier. But what the fuck? Like most of the Western world fought a war to stop that practice, you know? But it's like, again, if it's familiar and it's effective, I guess that's what you're going to be doing. That, that's why I love it was summed up in the film with you, like when the, when the general attacks the reporter, he was like, you have no right for morality. The, it's a very simple question. Should Algiers remain French? Right. And if your answer is yes, then our methods are justified. Correct. If our answer is no, then we leave that like, and that's what is great about this film is that like, that's what it comes down to. It's like, how far are you willing to go to keep this place French? Correct. Yep. And it's how yep. deep, and that, that, no, that was a, that whole scene with the um, with the press. That was really I love that scene too. Like out of all of the scenes, that was probably because that colonel, like that was a real dude, and he, yeah, like um, he, he here's the thing is he he didn't fucking lie. He just wasn't no. being asked the correct questions until that one reporter said, "Hey, you're not being direct because you're not being asked direct questions because my colleagues are fucking scared of saying the wrong thing." Yep. And then that's when he he gives him that line, and it's like. Mm -hmm. That was completely honest. It was diplomatic as fuck. And that's that's what it is. Or what it was. Yeah. That's what it was at that time. That's exactly the situation. And that, like you said, it sums up the whole thing perfect, you know? And and but that whole thing, and then when he's like, you know, your methods are, you know, uh, we're talking about legality and shit. And he goes, Well, it's also illegal to plant bombs in places and kill people, right? Oh, mm -hmm. uh, well, so it's like, yeah, again, when you said that the French were portrayed as not like the Gestapo, basically, but like just guys that were using methods and it's on an even playing field. Yeah. So the NLF is bombing civilians, right? They're not hitting military mm -hmm. targets. They're hitting civilians. Well, these Soft guys. Targets, yeah. And then so the French are going to do the same shit. It's like nobody yeah. wins in a situation like that, but it happens all the time. It's happening right now as we speak. So yeah, right? I, I think in, in my notes, I put... uh 
both sides will break the rules if it means they can get the upper hand. Correct. Like that's all. That's all a real struggle. Like this is when you're fighting for a country. It's like you know, mm-hmm. the rules don't matter. It's what can we do to hurt them? You know, oh yeah. And how it, many can we get in the morgue and still feel whole? And how can we rebuild after they fuck us up? Well, and that's what that's, when um when know, the the initial leader of the NLF was talking with Ali when they were getting him out of there, and he said. You know, and he was going through the stages of revolution, like you said. You know, the, the guerrilla, the the conflict, mm-hmm. and then he goes, yeah. he goes, he goes. The or something like the hardest part is what comes after all that. Yeah, it is so true. It is very true because you know, look at what happened. Look at Zim- Zimbabwe. <laughs> yep. I mean, all these countries. You know, the revolution is half the battle. Yep. And there's even well, I will get to it eventually. I, one of my favorite films ever, Doctor Zhivago. Oh God, I love that movie. Um, about the Russian Revolution and everything. And mm-hmm. there's a great line in it from a commissar. And he's like, once the military revolution is over, everybody will be reweighed for their political strength, regardless of what they did in the revolution. Exactly. There's, and look, if you look at the Russian revolution, Trotsky, all these people, you know, like, why does this photo of five people with Stalin turn into Stalin yeah. by 1940? You know, so it, it's just fascinating. You know, it's like, I hate politics, but they all play into it. Well, you, like, well here's the thing with military really- history is you have that's that's the thing i was talking with uh one of my professors when i was in college um and he kind of said that yeah in order to understand military history you have to understand politics you have to understand economics you have to understand um multiple facets of a historical discipline like because you know you've got you've got political history you've got military history you've got uh social history you've got you know all these different uh kind of subcategories of history that people specialize in well, with history, you have to, you in order to be effective, you have to know what is going on politically, economically, socially, all that stuff. At that time, you have to understand all of that to understand why the military and what part the military played and why this happened. Because here's the thing is the military is not generally used when things are going well. You know, it's not generally used when the things are going well. The military is usually generally used when things are going to shit in one way or the other. So war is the last act of a politician. Yeah. You know, it's your, should be it, well, no, yeah, right. But it's traditionally, it's, there's mm-hmm. nothing else is left. Yep. And you know, I, I, I'd call myself an amateur historian for 20 years now. Just same history, military yep. history and stuff, you know, and it wasn't until the last five or six years that I really realized mostly through a really good YouTuber. I watched called tick. Um, he's just amazing documentary. I, I saw his stuff on market garden. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. I love his presentation Dude, style. Dude, it's so good. It's Have you really. It or? Uh, no, I was doing it when I was cleaning my office, and I got to finish it. But here's the oh, thing: is I, he has such good visuals, so good. and I was just listening yeah. to it. And I'm like, that's like one of his first documentaries, too. Right. I had I had to and stop it because I'm like, I, I, I'm listening to it. I'm I'm absorbing it because it's really portrayed yeah. well. But like his visuals are, they it just adds like you understand it even more. So I was like, I got to stop this and actually yeah. just sit down and watch the rest of it. But no, that that is is fantastic. Like his, I love that. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, he's great. If, again, if people haven't heard of him, look him up. He's really good. But he he did all these military videos, and he started to do economic and political videos. And people were like, just stick to tanks. And he made a whole series like, fuck you. No, no, no. You don't get the full story. Exactly. Like, you don't know why the guys are fucking getting no food at Stalingrad if you don't understand that half the Luftwaffe's air fleet was fucking delivering shit to Tunisia because the Americans landed. Like, you, you have to look at the whole picture and that you have to conceptualize it. Because if you don't do that, it's just facts that are not that are amalgamated that don't make any sense you well know, yeah like, they're, they're written down there's a reason that facts are written down yeah making you know, sense of it a, is a job of a historian yeah right 
and yep. A happens or B happens after A, you know, mm-hmm. C happens after like there's a progression for these things. Like and the more you read into it, the, the bigger picture you get. Like, for example, like I, I try to read everything on the Second World War because you just get facts from here and there that all align. So then I found out this week that's fascinating. In mid-November of 1941, George Marshall, the uh, American, uh, what was it? he's, I forget the term, Secretary of War or Secretary so, of State. Yeah. No, he's Secretary of War. Yeah. Um, had a meeting with 10 top uh, correspondents. Robert Sherrod was one of them. He was very famous in the Second World War. Um, basically saying, we're at the brink of war with Japan and that if we can get through the December 1st to 10th period, we should be able to stave off the war until February. But war is imminent, Japan. This is the first fucking week in November, 1941. This is a month before Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And fucking, they knew the writing on the wall. And it's like just fucking fascinating to think about that. You know, like our idea of, of America before the war is so different than in reality. You know, right. we were this nation that was stabbed in the back by the Japs. No. We fucking froze their assets. We fucking did everything we could. You know, Roosevelt wanted to go to war with them over them invading Indochina in the middle of 1941. Like, unless you read the real history and pick up these facts along the way, you know, that's how you build a picture. But you have to do the work. And without doing the work, you're never going to get it. You right. have to do the work in all the fields. That's why, like, you know, it takes forever to be a good historian. Like, you know, James, we've had on here, James Gregory, you know, yep. the, the World War One uh, York uh, historian stuff. Like, he hates other historians that don't do their work because he's like, you can't fucking do that. You no. have to do everything. You have to have your end notes. You have to have your sources. You, you can't fucking lie. Because right. all you're doing by lying is you're, you're fucking up other people's research and you're just prolonging a problem that's existing. So, like, you know, and you have to do all your research. You're propagating myths to become reality when they're not. And that's yeah. how history gets warped and twisted and forever. Like, I mean, there's so many fallacies. Like, he's you know, covered extensively and his book's coming out in a couple weeks, actually on the 19th, right? If I remember correctly. Yes, that is. Yep. Yeah. December 19th. Um, the other 16, you should definitely pick up a copy of that. I think you can pre-order them right now. Um, after and you it, check out tick on YouTube, go head over to the, the other 16 on, on Amazon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Amazon. Yeah. But anyway, no, I mean like, again, I, we, we don't endorse shit that we don't believe in. Um, we endorse people that we love. Yeah. yeah and who actually do the work. <laughs> Um, so, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, his, his debunking is going to cause a lot of waves because there's been so many lies perpetuated for the past hundred fucking years that people just believe it as fact. And when people believe something for a long time, gobble, it's gobble, just, gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but like when they believe that kind of shit, like they're going to get pissed off when they go, Oh, everything I was told and I believe is, is not correct. Oh fuck. So that, and if you just don't lie and you actually do the fucking work you can mitigate a lot of that shit. You can mitigate a lot of mm-hmm. messing with people's uh, uh, perception of what actually went down. And it's not always glorious, but I mean, it, it is what it is. And so, yeah, I mean, we got off on a tangent, but that's why I kind of like this film is because it seems like, well, this is what it is, you know? Yeah. And to kind of build off that with the film, like they could have easily made this like the Algerian Braveheart yes, or, you know, uh, Patriot. Mm-hmm. Like fuck those goddamn fucking baguette eating faggots, you know. Yep. Fucking stop them to the curb. They're the enemy, and they always will be. Yes, but they didn't. Nope. You know this this country that had 130 years of oppression came out of it and said, "This is what happened in the last 10 years." And we fought and we won. And in the end, yep. We got our we we got our independence. Yep. That's all that matters. Yep. Like that, like you know, 
it's just great. Like, again, with Zulu, you could have painted that as, like, us versus them, and we won. Yep. You know? And again, they did that 60%, but they also showed that the Zulu had command and control. And oh, that oh, they yeah. weren't just a, a group of fucking bumbling idiots that was trying to do something. Like, you know, yeah. you, you got to have that. So it's just, it's so great. And you gain so much more. Like, you know, what do you get by having Steamboat Willie, quote unquote, and Saving Private Ryan? Except the stupid character that takes up time. That's the, the German guy that's... That you I know, know I, I'm, I'm aware of who Steamboat Willie is. For people that don't know, but like... Oh, yeah, sorry. You yeah. know, like, what do you gain? You gain nothing. What, do you gain a German perspective? No, you gain that fucking shoot every prisoner you meet like you know you know there's there's nothing learned there but from things like this you learn like it's the actions of people that make them criminals or or terror or whatever you know it's not the person themselves right so yeah exactly so but uh no it's awesome and i think this is the time we should move on to i am fdb sure because there's a lot of cool guns they they did a really good job from what i could see so yeah so there were a lot of cool guns in this, and I'll just preface it with this. Um, Sean, we've had in the channel a lot, he's a he loves this history and everything, French history, and I talked to him a lot about this, and he said that basically all the weapons that they used, um, at least the FLN used, were all World War II weapons. Because they'd all been left there from torch or the Germans mm-hmm. or you know, old French stuff. So it was originally like all surplus 40 stuff, you know, yeah. and stuff they would have stolen from the French. So that's just the kind of what happened in reality. But um, Smith and Wesson. That's like the the Model Ten is actually the the victory model from the Second World War, I think, right? Yeah, but they, they well, different? I think, the, yeah, because the model there's so many variations. Of the model, I have a Model Ten Six hanging right there, so they, it's the heavy barrel. So they, there was like a ten one, ten two, ten three. So they made these things through the seventies. It's a very popular design. They're freaking awesome pistols. They're great guns. Yep. Yeah, you know? it was cool to see, and it's nice to see revolvers used in films as well. Oh, for sure. Yep. The MLE. Yeah. The <laughs> yep. Oh, that was great. Yep, the good old LaBelle revolver. I love the the bead corn front sight. Mm-hmm. I want to get one of those someday. You don't have? Oh wow! No, I almost got one a while back, but it literally it was from Empire Arms, and I I was hemming and yeah. hawing, and I'm like, hey, so and so, talk me out of this. They're like, get it, and I'm like, fuck. And so I emailed <laughs> I emailed Dennis, and he's like, oh, you're about five minutes too late. I'm like, good. I don't have the money for oh, it right fun. now, but yeah, um, it, eventually. Strange guns because. They were made for the cavalry. You can only load them from the right hand. Mm-hmm. So, like, the right-hand side. So, they're very awkward to shoot, but they're very interesting pistols. And they, they share a lot of similarities with the 1895 Nagants. Well, yeah, it's the same time period. So. Yeah, but I think the Nagant brothers also helped design both of the rifles. Or both of the well, Leon Nagant was a uh, Belgian guy, so probably. Yeah, it was all the, the early FM stuff. Ooh, I didn't know there was a Model D. Yep, Ooh, yep. He pulls it off one of the police officers. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I love it when he cut the lanyard, too. Yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. Cool. Yeah, he does. Ain't nice. nobody got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Well, I've seen World War II take home, like, Nambus and stuff. With the cut lanyards? The lanyards cut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's always cool. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, that was a great scene in the police. Two scene. world wars. Hell yeah, brother. Oh, yep. <clears throat> right where 1911 should be in your crotch. Yeah, point right at your dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to do the job, do the job right. <laughs> Only steel oh. on my hip. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Brought to you by Algerian. Only Bones. steel in my crotch. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> Only steel in my waistband. <laughs> um oh the Mat 49, yeah. That's uh mm. 
I love the Matt 41. It's a great submachine gun. It's such a fucking stupid, wonky-looking piece of shit, but it's so fucking amazing, and I want two of them. That's just French guns in general. Because I need two of them? That's just what what you just said. Stupid, wonky-looking piece of shit, but it works (laughs) phenomenally, and it's great. That's French guns in a nutshell. Yeah. It's like we captured... Tens of thousands of MP40s and MP44s. We're going to make this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like this in the, in the Universal Hotchkiss. Well, yeah, and yeah. Have you ever have you ever crazy, seen the like, requirements? Like when they were trying to design this, and the government's like, "Here's the no, requirements." Actually, like it was so it was brick with a barrel. Well, they well it was cool because you could fold the magazine well forward, and it makes it more compact. Yeah. So it's like you can you con- see that in the film too. Yeah, you times. do. Yep, a they couple times, folded. and um, so but this thing went through a lot of freaking trials and tribulations, and actually this was the final result, and man, did that work great for them. Did they shoot? So, did they shoot like great. Sten mags out of it, or their equivalent of a Sten mag, or what was? Is no, they're they're on mag. It's not a Sten mag, but it's they're, it's they're different. They're, I mean, it's still a it's similar. They all look similar, right? But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's well, like I I say that, and then I see how far down the mag was. Well, yeah, it's its own proprietary I retract, mag, I, but I retract that statement. It just looked like it's more yeah. like a like a Beretta thirty eight mag right. with the dimples in the right. Yeah, so. But they were great, and it's funny they all have blank adapters. That's one thing. Uh, yeah. Didn't, yep, yep. didn't the North Vietnamese? Didn't the North Vietnamese make their own? You're well, yeah. thinking of the nope, no, 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 no. These they they modified these with seven six two two five. Yeah, they modified these in seven six two two five. Yes, you can yeah, tell yeah. because the barrels are a lot longer on them, and then they um. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so they they modified a shit ton of these, and yeah, yeah, they rechambered them, but um. What was I saying? Uh, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, yeah. Because well, when they, you might be thinking of the PPSH that they cut down. Looks the KM50. I, I do. Strange. I do know what you're talking about, but it's not that they actually made like it was called like the Mat 49, like D or something. Like they made. Yeah, that's that's what. Like they, yeah, it's the converted 7.62. Yeah, but they, yeah. But, they, but they did like something the else. It's yeah. like it was the barrel was longer, but then there was also like something else with it. I'll have to go back in my memory well they had to change the uh they probably had to change the bolt face a little bit because the 7625 is a little Um, bit a little bit narrower than the nine it was something cosmetically and i can't remember what it is sean would know off the top of his head i I don't remember what it is though but yeah it's a great submachine gun (laughs) they're so good and i love and there's actually parts kit on gunbroker right now (laughs) oh is there Oh fuck! Yeah, God damn it. Okay, dude, they're so cool. I can't it actually got the. I can't the, go look at that. The receiver repair section. Yeah, I, I almost bought a, a rubber duckling one a few years ago, and I'm fucking kick myself every day. Do you? Uh, this some, is cool. It's cool to have. Something you know? of the same. Before we go right. down, something of the same era is the the Madsen 50. Have you seen those? Yeah, the Swedish. Yes. Yeah, they're never. Oh no, 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 no. The Madsen was. No. The M50s. Yeah. yeah, the KM50. And then the, the the ones that split the receiver is just sheet metal that splits apart yeah. on a hinge. Yeah, I, I, yeah. those are so intriguing. I mean, of course they are. I mean, of course the I mean, Danish make something crazy weird. You know, when the Swedes came out with the 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 Model K, which was yeah. fucking cool. It was. A, I don't know if that was a little bit later, but those were extensively used in Vietnam. Forty five. Yeah, the K. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the Sweet KM forty five. And, and the, the Smith and Wesson seventy sixes were kind of a version of actually the the, the M fifty and the Swedish K. Yeah, of, yeah, and it was in forty five. But yeah, so they're. I love submachine guns. They're so cool, but. Dude, I got a problem with Swedish Ks. I love them. Oh, that's so that's cool. on my list. Like eventually, if I'm ever a Stocks billionaire, a wobbly piece of shit. I know, right? We're actually get your 240 Bravo. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right? that's number I, one. I I um I I have a I have a question, and then we'll go down to the next one. If uh, what what would be let's put it in World War II era because that's what we all know commonly is uh, what would be your favorite World War II submachine gun? 
PPSH 41. What about you, Brian? Grease gun. Uh, yeah. It's the most controllable. Yeah. Um, it's like it's it's there and it works and it's really reliable and I mean it shoots a pretty good slug. I mean you're basically lobbing 45 at people. Yeah. But like Thompsons are nice, but they're really heavy yep. and they're very complicated. Um, and they're fast. They're too fast. Stems for the 45. you drop and they shoot. MP40 is kind of too heavy for. Yeah, they're is. really heavy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Grease gun. I mean, it, grease gun is heavy in itself, but because it's so heavy, it has like no recoil. So I, that's what I, I, would I go shot with. both full auto. And <laughs> and the forty one is the weight on the forty one makes that that fire rate a lot easier to control than you think. But it is it's it's way too fast for the mag capacity that you have for that gun. The, That's why you the, fire in bursts. The, yes, exactly. The grease gun, though, man, I was blown away by that. We've talked I've talked about this in previous episodes about the grease gun, but Jesus, like. I hated that gun until I live fired it. And I was like, wow, okay, I love this fucking thing. And I know that was there, the same kind of feeling with the GIs too, even of the era. So the only problem that they had during the war, the Second World War, was the the, the, the charging handle broke. Right, which is why yeah, they went that for was the, the really only com- they went for that little nut. Well, yeah, the, the A1, yeah. they 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 put it, you know, in the bolts. Um, but in the field, they would actually they would mill out a channel on the right side of the receiver and they would put an actual charging handle in the grease gun. You see them, it's like literally like a little bolt. And it's very cool. Yeah. Um but uh, no, I would go with the grease gun because it's just again reasons I said it's just controllable. It's it's the cheapest, best submachine in the world. I, I think change my I, mind. I think I would. Like. I I I don't like the look of the grease gun, but I like the look of the forty one so much better. And it, but it doesn't matter. It looks like but, but I yeah. <laughs> but I haven't. But I haven't seen. I haven't fired a swoomy, so I don't know if that would also be one of my Ooh. favorites. Yeah, KP thirty one. Yeah. That because because that's so close to the forty one. Well, oh. that's the for, they ripped it off. Like the the Soviets ripped. No, off I, the no, 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 no. I know it's just yeah. it's just the craftsmanship of the forty one is really really. Or sorry, the thirty one is is really good, and and the forty one is good, but it's it's Russian mass production quality. And my. I think I think the only thing that would maybe go close, but I've never I will never see one in my in life is uh, the PPD. Which would be the combination yeah. of like the the Swimmy thirty ones so and the PPSH forty ones. They apparently used some PPDs in the early part or the later parts of the Winter War because they were just starting to make them. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, they, they got the concept from the Finns. Exactly. Yeah, but yep. um, and and, it, and it's are, it's yeah. weird. It it does, it's not like the forty one where it has that magwell that's all metal that goes up into it. It's like mm-hmm. it's like the 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 point of. <laughs> The, the I was gonna say I was it's, gonna say it's recessed. Gonna say, n- no, it's it's below. It's it's like the magazine is, goes into the. Receiver. Yes, yes. Sorry, goes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. So, yeah, yeah. It, the magwell is recessed. Yes, yeah. sorry. That so. yes, yes. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're correct. Yeah, and it, it's just weird because when you look at the 41, it's like the mag becomes a part of like the rifle almost. If versus... you if you take a sumi mag and a PPSH mag, they're the same fucking thing. Like the drum mags, that is. If you take them apart and everything, because the only thing that's different is the quality of the springs inside, and the only thing that's different in terms of the latch of the mechanisms is the latch that can sit in. Um, I think a, if I remember correctly, a PPSH mag can go into a Swoomy, but a Swoomy mag cannot go into a forty-one. Yes, it's like the FAL thing. Yeah, inch for yeah, and and all it is is that the forty-one 
the 41 uh, mags have a step and the swoomies are straight. Hmm. Um, and just a funny side note that we're on this. So I, I was doing research for a sniper movie that I didn't end up making, unfortunately, but I, I read about every World War II sniper and Simo Hatta came up the winter or the, what was it? The white death. Yeah. Um, yeah. He got all those kills in the winter war. Well, something that you don't hear about, they got like, I think 420 kills. I think half of them were taken with a Sumi. Mm-hmm. So well, he got over six, he, he got over 600 kills, but uh, over 400 of those were the Swomi. And then he, well, I know, yeah. but his, his official title though, half of that number is hundred percent Sumi at least. It's more than half. You know, it's more than half. Um, it's like, it's like almost 70% of his confirmed kills were with that thing. And then he got the 2830 and then yep. did the rest of his work with that until he was wounded. So yeah, but it's everybody's like, Oh, he's just close, the, but... the, oh, yeah, the most lethal sniper in history. He was one of them, but like he got most of his kills with a submachine gun. We'll get to the movie eventually. And it's actually a funny connection to it. Now um, I'll get into another point, but Talva Soto, the, the winter yeah. war film is just, it's such a good film, um, and it shows how devastating a submachine gun is when there's only one or two of them on a battlefield. But they actually, during the war, they had a badge that was, if you got 200 confirmed kills with the Sumi, you were given this badge. Mm-hmm. And they handed out, like, over a few hundred of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it just kind of shows the, the crazy fighting. Like, I know Finnish machine gunners had to get switched out every three days on the Manorham line because they would literally shake themselves to craziness because they were murdering so many people. Right. Because the Russians were just running into their maxims and everything, and it's like, uh, I can go on a tangent, but Sumis are great. So, <laughs> really Sumis are great, and it's and, uh, and to tie in another movie, also Unknown Soldier, which I hopefully will do at some point as well. Which Unknown one? Soldier? I think I've seen that one. Oh, for, it's really yes. good. Well, it's really good. The original one is is really yeah. good too. The, the 2014 one is really good as well. Like really good. Yeah. Like that's the I that yeah. book for that is so amazing. Oh my god! If Finnish war movies is a subject I know a lot about that I love to talk about at one point. Um, you know, it's just, <laughs> there's so many of them cause it's so patriotic, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll keep going. Yeah. This. Sorry for the uh, tangent. I was just curious. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, this is a fucking awesome rifle. The mouse 36. Um, oh my God. And there's, I did a rant in my, one of my previous or one of my like recent videos, like the price differential, they used to be like 200 bucks all day and you couldn't give them away. Cause nobody wanted them. Oh, French or whatever. But like, I was like all over these things back in the day and still luckily have one of them. I had a 3651. I wish I I went for them then because, man, I have one that's all but like chopped up and I was lucky to get that for what I paid for it. I I have one that was chopped up by the Vietnamese when it was carried down the fucking Ho Chi Minh Trail and brought back by a guy in 1970. (laughs) My my Moss is so fucked. It was a 45 L block that like went to Indochina and never came back until 70. The butt plate fell off at one point, and they just kept using it. So, like, an inch of the butt plate is just and wood is smashed because <laughs> it's been used. Like, there was a rope sling in it. It's it's a pretty crazy gun because it's it's a gun that you know got left behind. <laughs> but they're great rifles. Oh yeah, they're fantastic. And then the Moss Forty Nine. Mm, yep, I need one. You, <laughs> got, you better you better do it fast because they're getting more and or more. Or forty four. Oh, yeah, good luck with a 44. Jesus Christ. You see them, dude. They're expensive, though. Holy shit. It's like an it's like an SVT. It sucks, but I want it. Yeah. And they're the real French ones, too. They're not the Syrian ones. Right. Yeah, the the 49 is a great rifle. I got a 49.56, obviously, so it's just shorter. But the action itself, Mm -hmm. oh, man. Yeah, same thing. Mm -hmm. So. Well, it's 
it, it's actually the Moss 40, you know, but uh, whoops, they evaded too quickly. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they were in, you know, they actually had, I think, 10 or 15 of the rifles produced when the Germans showed up at the factory and they, they disassembled them. And for some reason, the Germans never found out about the semi-automatic program in France. That would have changed the war. Direct gas but impeachment. Anyway. Yeah, that was a fun thing around 19, like, 38 to 40. And then the, oh, yeah. the Swedes oh. used it and the French used it. And that's it. Oh, the Americans used it too. Direct gas impingement in World War II? No, they didn't. With the Grand, yeah. It's not direct. No, it's a long stroke piston. Oh, okay. Well, no, I'm talking like the, the direct gas impingement, like on an AR-15. There was the um, there was the Moss. Carbine? No, that's a short stroke piston. And I'm on carbine. That's a short stroke piston. Short yep. Oh, okay. Um, yep, I got you. It, so the AG-42, the Jungmann AG-42, and the Moss 40 or 44, that's those were like the two that were direct gas impingement. And then later on the Hakim that was ripped off in the Rashid from the AG 42. But yeah, and the AR 15. So, hmm. yep. It's funny. I, I, I like to collect semi autos, but I realized that I don't have either of those and I need to buy them. <laughs> but that's very interesting because I, I just love the mechanics behind them now. That's very interesting. You're right. It's a totally different gas system. Yep. Yep. No. So, it, 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 as we're on it, here's a Garand, you know. I, I just love these guns because, you know, the Garand is great because we spent four years fucking it up and then we perfected what a semi-auto was in 1940 and then the Germans spent four years fucking it up and they perfected what a semi-auto was in 1945. <laughs> right. So it's funny, like, we, they went through the same exact process, but, you yeah. know, different periods it's, of time. There's a lot of, lot of engineering going on in the late 30s and mid and early 40s. Like, Oh, yeah. It's, and the Garand is just... Half of it's stolen from an RSC. If you really want to get technical, well, right? But it's just it's just improved <laughs> yeah. and kind of streamlined. Yeah, but like, um, yeah. yeah, the M1 is, and there's not a lot of long stroke piston semi autos. The M1 and then the AK, but like, yeah, you know, that's you don't see a lot of long strokes because it does affect accuracy with the harmonics. They found that out. Um, really? Yeah, it does. Like, because the whole it, it, it contorts or not contorts it. Well, it does kind of contort the rifle of. If you watch it in slow motion, off rods bend. It makes sense. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's why uh, short stroke pistons are favored because it doesn't shock the rifle as much, and it just moves the action more or less. So anyway, fucking tangent. Anyway, um, yeah, the M1. That's that's totally accurate. Um, They were issued. They had a lot of those, and then the M1 carbines, which we'll get to, I'm sure. And thank you, Uncle Sam. Why? I'm curious though as to why we didn't see any 1917s. Because I'm pretty sure they would have had those because a lot... Well, the Free French were armed with those and there would have been a shitload left over. So that was interesting. I mean, it's not... It's nothing against... It's not... It doesn't take anything away. I just... I'm surprised that I didn't see one or a couple. Yeah. But, I mean, at this point, they would have probably had M1s anyway in the late 50s, but who knows? Yep, M1 carbine. Carbine. Yeah. Super popular in Europe after World War II in the West. Oh yeah, well it's the it's the Western assault rifle. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great little great little gun. So, if you need, yeah, so they never really touched on this, but I definitely saw it. I didn't I even it see that the machine gun. Yeah, where is it? I saw it at a few points, right there. Where? Guy with the belt of ammo. Oh, it looked. Oh like, fuck! Oh, it looked like a it looked like a Mat Forty Nine. I was yeah. just yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, I saw the bipod a few scenes. Like, what the fuck? They're, I, I know nothing about these. It looks like a, it looks like a Star so Wars. This is yeah, the, I have this no. Is, this is the Mass the AA fifty two. So, oh yeah, sorry for people, people listening. Yeah. I have, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen this fucking thing before. It's also a gimpy. It's got a Bren handle on it, so I wonder if it's a quick change barrel like the Bren. Yeah, the receiver looks like it's an MG forty two receiver that they they shrunk. Very That's something I'm gonna have to research. That's really interesting. Cool. Yeah. 
But they, I don't think they had a blank adapter for it, so you never see shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> the off yeah. 37. That's he's a cool check, grenade. He's, check, he's checking out the butts of the burkas. That, well, I, I feel like the reason that he fell them is because the shoes. Yeah, yeah. You could hear them. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. To me, to me, it made scene. me think he was checking out their ass. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. But guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, he's like, you know, uh, women don't wear boots, <laughs> you know, and you can exactly, hear it on the on the, yeah. on the stone, and so that's good for him to turn around. To, then, quote, yeah. to quote one of my favorite movies, Black Dynamite: "Don't just don't wear alligator shoes." <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, love that movie. <laughs> it's so amazing, but uh, yeah, yeah, grenade. Very cool. Oh, that's oh, it. So the one thing they didn't yeah. have in here, I'm surprised, is at the end of the film when they have the the riots and everything, a fucking SU-85 Soviet tank. What? Okay, and was that? Because I thought it was, but there was also a fucking French tank. It was an AMX something 105. Let me see, really. Yeah, quick. but it was an SU-85 or 100. But what's funny is that because this film was shot after their independence and after they got you know support from Russia in the east. So that's why they have a fucking Russian World War II tank destroyer in, in North Africa in 1966. Um, AMX. A lot of that stuff was given out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's not that. It was an SU-85 for sure. Um, What's funny, though, too, is because with my, with my background in being a tanker, he, they're doing the wrong fucking thing. They're driving a tank and they're turning it zero G on fucking cobblestone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And if you look, like, where the tank drove, it fucked up the road. Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, if, like, when it's going down, like, you see cobblestone bits getting thrown up. Yeah. And, like, you see two distinctive tracks. Because, <laughs> long story short, we did a parade once for my museum on a really hot Memorial Day. It was, it was like, 105 degrees. <laughs> it was too hot. <laughs> we fucking, we brought the tanks out. <laughs> and, we uh there's three miles of fucking tank treads from on the asphalt from our museum straight out back but because it was so hot two thousand cars for the rest of the day flattened up the road but like you know pavement and tanks don't mix especially when you do shit like zero yeah (laughs) just fucking fucking for the tracks and second off you're oh yeah dude like you have when you watch an armor column like national guard unit like drive the rubber tracks are different now, but like if you're steel tracks, like fucking, you're gonna repave the road. Oh fuck so, yeah! Again, these guys don't give a shit, and when you turn, it's like you fucking you're taking off a layer of skin each time. So when I saw that, I started laughing because I'm like, they probably did this twice, and the second time, you notice one of the tracks is on the lawn. And it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yep. yeah, because it's like somebody was like, "You're fucking ripping up the road, dude," and we can't have that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and not just not just ripping it up, crazy. destroying it. Yeah, by ripping up, I mean it's like, fucked. oh look, there's the bedding material. Yep, fuck. Yeah, that's gonna take <laughs> you know, days shit. to fucking redo. Yeah. So hey, is, is that where Carthage was? You know, <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. No. So uh, well, I think we've we've made it to our closing thoughts. So who would like to? Um, I guess I'll go. I'll knock my since I since I seem to be <clears throat> the the kind of. I don't want to say outsider, just, 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 just the guy who had, I guess, like, eh, I'll go first. Um, I mean, like, I, I guess I'll, 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 I'll also say this. It's like, I think I've said it a few times already, all these episodes is that, you know, my opinion, it's my opinion. Go freaking watch this. Cause it's really good. It, it really is good. I, 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 I think a lot of my, I think the enjoyment that I'm kind of thinking about right now from this film comes from hearing these guys talk and i feel like you know taking mike's and brian's opinions and and kind of and then kind of further digesting the movie as a whole 
has really helped because when we started this podcast two hours ago, give or take, um, we I had just finished it. I literally stopped watching it, went and made some dinner, came down and started doing this. So I was very much like right off the cusp of finishing it. And when I kind of said boring in the beginning, I do stand by that. It is boring for me, but it doesn't detract that it's, it's not a good film. Um, I, I really liked the the quality of of in the f- film. I liked the cinematography in the film. I liked uh, the fact that you know it, even though the cadence was slow, it is nineteen sixties. Um, I have trauma from from <laughs> from film school of watching terrible movies of this decade. Um, I I I really did enjoy it, and it really does give a kind of a, a different take on, on everything going over the time. So, I mean, mine's going to be very short this week, but I, I think I'm going to give it a, a eight out of 10. You know, I, I really liked it. Um, I wish I was on the same kind of like not boring thing and going through and talking this whole thing out. I don't feel like it's as boring as I thought to when we started, but the cadence I think for me personally was just really slow. And that's yep. just, that's just my take. So uh, so yeah, so let's go. Let's go eight out of ten. Screaming Mel Gibson's. So nice, <clears throat> cool. Birch, you want to go? Sure. Um, yeah, I think we actually got to cover a lot of that. And for the listeners, sorry, it was just Brian and I kind of rambling back and forth. But I could see Nate was thinking while we were doing that. And yeah, um, the smoke so that, pours out of my ears when I do that too. So yeah, yeah, you're kind of doesn't happen a yeah. lot, but right. You know, when it <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was. Uh, like you ever you ever see a substation get flooded? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's what was going on. You just hear the gears grinding in his fucking brain. Just... I didn't. I didn't know sparks growing that way. Oh, shit. Fucking a. But um, yeah. Anyway, that it was. It was pretty easy to talk about. It was because again, like it's very. It's an interesting time. Like Brian and I were talking about, and it's. I mean, you learn something every every time you look at something like this. You learn something new, and it's just like okay, now I gotta go down these fifteen fucking rabbit holes. But um, yeah, it was presented very well. It's what Nate said about it being boring. That was my first 10 minutes of this. Like I was about to be like, ah, fuck, here we go. Another two hour, just, oh God. And then after that first 10 minutes, it was like, that's when it, for me, it just started flowing. Cause I'm like, oh, okay. I kind of know what's going on here. Nice. And, and they follow the timeline and everything. So it was engaging for myself, but again, I'm interested in the topic. So I totally get that. Um, It was shot very well. The cinematography. Yeah. It was really, really well done. Like, Especially like Brian said, those scenes in the alleyways in the Caspar when they were be when they when they just shot those guys up and they're trying to hide and all the doors are locked and shit. It's like the angles and everything were really good and like there was it's it all flowed and cut very well together. Good stuff. Editing was good. Um some of the sound was kind of fucked. Uh, but that's just a, a product of its time. That's that's 1960s. Ex- that's yep. And so that that's why I, I know and, that and sound and yeah, it's like it's yeah. Just, it, it just it just it just blows out the fucking eardrums. You know, it just blew out at certain points. But again, I understand why that is because it's this 1966. So um, anyway, yeah. All that being said, and it was it was really it was raw. It was like I said with the dead kids. I mean, movies don't do that anymore. It's implied. It's always implied that there's dead kids. It's never. It's never in your fucking face that that guy is holding a dead child. I mean, obviously the kid's not dead in real life. It's an actor, but like the, the idea of you're looking at a person holding a dead, it's just, it, it fucks with you. And unless you're a psychopath, which is not that much of the population, even though people claim to be fucking idiots. Um, anyway, 
So yeah, when you, when you get shit like that, you get the recovery of the bodies, you get the way it's affecting people, not in a way that was normal and um, all that stuff. So yeah, subject matter was good. The acting I thought for the sixties was really good. I mean, that was, it was, it was not overdone. It was, it was believable, which is a huge factor in all that shit. Anyway, I, I really did enjoy this and I did not think it was going to be enjoyable, but again, you gotta give everything a chance and uh, very pleasantly surprised with this. So I'll also give it an eight out of 10 solidly. I guess I shall close this up with, you know, I saw this film a few years ago, like I mentioned earlier, and I liked it a lot and I've done a lot of research, French history, decolonization stuff since then. So you're coming back to it. I'm like, oh, I remember it was a pretty good film. And then watching it, I'm like, fuck, this is a really good movie. Like, you know, what it gets right, it really gets right. And, you know, it just, I, again, I could probably talk about this for like another hour or two. But just to sum it up, like, the beginning is great. You know, it just, I love how the, they started there. I love how, you know, for me in this film, words don't seem wasted. Like, everything has mm-hmm. a weight. You know, it's like everything's done for a reason. There's not some irrelevant conversation between two women because we have to have that. It's like everything leads to the liberation. You know, everything leads to the end goal of revolution. So it's just so much was done, you know, to just get it right, you know. And also, this is so much, you know. Um, This is basically the quintessential movie on decolonization. You know, it's just if you're going to watch a film about this period of history, and what it was like to get out of under the thumb of an oppressor in the West or, or any colonized nation, you know, this is the one to watch. This is the quintessential one. They have not made a better film. They've not made a worse film. But this is the one to, to, to talk about this subject. Um, it just is a really good primer, and it's just awesome. That being said, it does have its flaws. You know, it's, it's a product of its time. I noticed a lot of interesting camera play. You know, I, I feel like this wasn't the most professional production, which is fine. You know, um, sound, whatever, you know, some of the gunplay, you can obviously tell with blanks and things. But no, it's it's a really good movie told in a very good way um, where everyone is just a combatant for an equal, you know, in this thing that they're thrust into. Again, like I said earlier, you don't walk away from this being like, I'm never going to have a baguette again. I'm going to throw out every croissant I've ever eaten. You know, like, it's just... <laughs> people's actions make them monsters. Yeah. They will never suck on a frog leg ever again. <laughs> At the end of the day, it really comes down to your morality. And like what the French officer said, you know, um, do, should Algiers remain French? And if the answer is yes, then shut the fuck up. Yep. So that being said, I would also give this film an eight out of 10 because, you know, it's, it has its flaws, obviously yep. like everything. But what it does right, it does right, and it's fucking awesome for it. Yep. And if you're interested in all in post-war history or, or anything like this, I really recommend that you watch it and with an open mind and just, you know, this is how a revolution starts. This is how a country becomes a country. And it's just, it's awesome. So putting all of our scores into the computer that will tell us when the Vietnam War will end or when Algeria will be free, um, we get eight out of 10 um what i'm saying we get eight out of 10 so yeah. I, brian brian, so, brian you should put that back in the calculator and try it again are you sure okay. are you sure you yeah. carry so the two all, yeah. yeah 8 16 24 uh divided by three that's eight. Oh, right on 
It's <laughs> <laughs> a tough one this week. A lot of different, a lot of different ratings. Um, anyway, well, I changed my rate to so, a eight point two 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 five eight six seven. There you go. Putting everything into my Texas Instrument TI eighty four calculator. So yeah, eight out of ten. It's it's a really good movie. You should definitely check it out. Um, and just because it's black and white, don't negate it. Yeah, so, correct. Um, awesome. Well, I would just like to end this on a quote that I think sums up this whole thing perfectly. And it's from a quote from a Frenchman that was involved in the original taking of Algeria in 1830. As long as you keep Algiers, you will be constantly at war with Africa. Sometimes this war will seem to end, but these people will not hate you any the less. It will be a half-extinguished fire that will smolder under the ash and which, at the first opportunity, will burst into a vast conflagration. You know, you can't keep a people subjected forever. Eventually, they will revolt and they will throw you out in just a matter of time. Thanks for watching and uh, listening and catch you guys next week. Le fin. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating. Otherwise, Mel Gibson won't stop screaming. If you like this content, make sure to check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, Scuttlebutt out. We head into the cash bar this week with Gilo Pont... Oh, that's... I'm going to fuck his name up. The cash bar? Yeah. Yeah, it's that's cash what... bar. It's cash bar. Cash bar. Yeah, rock okay. cash bar. It's ca- that's the place well, there where the whole movie. Cash bar, but... You can say cash buy. I mean, they have money there, I guess. <laughs> cash buy. <laughs> yeah, it's cash buy. The, yeah. We're heading to the cash buy this week with Gilo Pontesu. <laughs> we head to the cash buy. I'm just going to run it because Nathan, I talked to, with Birch about this. This guy's got a fucked up. I, I heard so. it when I got in. It's yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> we're heading to the cash buy this week with Gilo Pontesafari. <laughs> Gilo Pontec. Okay, let me do hooked on phone. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> holy fuck man dude the last two episodes we haven't had anything at the end so this will be great into so. the casbah this week with gilo pontic <laughs> let me look it up again i'll say Pontec- it for you a couple times casbah this week with gilo pontacorvos <laughs> mike's head is his hands this is fucking gold. I mean, this is this is the worst one yet, and I love every second of you fucking I, it up. I don't know. Chris's Chris's was pretty biblical. No, oh, this God. is this Cop is, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Cop Kitty. Oh, it's actually it's actually Gilberto Pontecorvo. 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 Now you sound Pont- Italian. He, hey, he's he actually from Pisa. Oh, oh, you're right. <clears throat> <clears throat> Fuck you, Nathan. Um, we head into the Casbah this week with Gilo Pontecorvo. <laughs> we head into you... the Casbah this week with Gilo Pontecorvo's 1966. Fuck, Fuck you, you got had it. it. Charlie, you had it. You I got that. <laughs> no, I got. I fucked up on the the year. <clears throat> oh my god. We head into the Casbah this week with Gilo Pontecorvo. <laughs> we head into the Casbah this week with Ah. Okay, I'm gonna nail it. I'm gonna slate this fucker. <laughs> or not. <laughs>
We head into the Casbah this week with Gilo Pontecorvo's 1966 epic, The Battle of Algiers. As always, I'm joined by Mike B. Yep. And Nate. Take one. Got it. All right. 